0: This is a podcast about Jeopardy!
1: Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy! podcast, where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy! episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily.
0: And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of February 12th, 2024. But before we get into the second week of Wild Card Group 2 quarterfinals, let's check in with each other. Emily, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. I just got back a few days ago, as we're recording, from visiting my new nibbling, baby Z, and my sister and brother-in-law, and new babies are so great. They're mm. a lot of work, though. They're a lot of work. True. Yeah. I was there to work because there's just so much to do, so I was I was doing, you know, Laundry and dishes, and trying to like stock their fridge up with easy, healthy things to eat, and holding the baby while people napped, and like assembling baby gear that didn't get assembled. But I got to hold the baby. They're so tiny. Yeah, I I also ran out for for baby clothes. Did I talk about this all last week? I don't
0: remember you talking about baby clothes.
1: Yeah, I went out for baby clothes because they've gotten a smattering of clothes at the baby shower in a variety of sizes, which Great, like great choice, baby shower goers. Like, if you Mm -hmm. are listening to this and you're going to a baby shower, typically people get deluged with clothes that are in newborn size. And some newborns are actually born larger than newborn size.
0: Right. And there's newborn and and
1: then there's zero to three months. And some babies, if they're on the bigger side, are already zero to three months size when they're born. And so, if you're fully stocked on newborn size clothes, you may come home and have literally nothing for the baby to wear. Right. And the baby's outgrowing their clothes every three months. So like getting clothes for a baby shower that are three to six or six to nine is nine to 12, like whatever. Great choice, right? Like get them a smattering of sizes. But people had done such a great job with this that like the baby had like four or five outfits in their current size. So I ran out for baby clothes. And when you're in the store, you look at the clothes and you're like, that is so unspeakably tiny. Mm-hmm. Like I'll get it just in case, but I'm sure it's too small. I'm gonna also get a couple of things in the next size up. And then I got back to their house with these baby clothes, and the baby was just like absolutely swimming. <laughs>
0: it's Such a so tiny little. baby!
1: They're so tiny. And I'm leaving in a few days for Utah. It's my kids' midwinter break, uh so we're going to do some skiing. But we're also going to go see Aniki Garcia. Yay!
0: yay we're
1: figuring out plans to have a meal together with our respective families and some kind of fun something to do so that'll be fun
0: yeah that's awesome
1: how about you how are things
0: things are good kind of just moving normally i guess we don't have any trips planned really it's just i don't know this time of year especially when i was teaching feels like the doldrums
1: yeah you don't it's have an like, imminent school break right
0: no well i guess in like a month like we have spring break in a month
1: yeah we're on that like weird i guess california also does this maybe but like mm-hmm. a lot of the east coast or like northeast has one week in february and one week in
0: april i could see that because from what i remember the coastal for whatever reason schools tend to Start the school year later, right? They start Mm -hmm. after Labor Day. Yep. Which means they go into June. Yep. Which makes your year lopsided if you divide it at the winter break. Right. So, whereas for us, our districts like evenly bisect the school year at the new year. So, yeah. But I don't know. We're figuring out what we will do. My kid just yesterday said, Dad, the next trip that we go on, I want it to be to Disneyland. And I was like, That is an extremely tall order, my child. And, like, I get it, okay. Also, I don't know. I'm not Emily. Everyone knows how much you just love diving into the trip planning for a a Disney trip, especially. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that is the just diametric opposite of me. Mm -hmm. So she said that, and I died a little inside, thinking, how am I going to plan that and pay for it?
1: Mm -hmm. But who knows? I am not a Disney travel agent. I am not any kind of travel agent, but like, seriously, like, while well, not recording, send me like your budget <laughs> and desired time of year, and I will just for funsies price it out for you.
0: Okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll go, I'll go ahead and do that. Yeah. And why that's not?
1: how she started her new side hustle. Yep. <laughs> I have had so-so luck with Disney travel agents, to be honest, but it's worth knowing that Disney travel agents do not charge their clients a fee and you end up paying the same as if you booked it directly because oh. yeah disney pays them a commission and uh. if you book directly with disney disney just keeps that money mm-hmm. so okay uh, yeah i, I i'm i a control freak and i like to do everything myself so i've stopped trying to use disney travel agents but you don't have to go as hard as i did
0: uh, yeah are you sure
1: but but seriously seriously i will price stuff out and like you know I would be I'd be delighted too.
0: Okay. Yeah, so I guess that may or may not be in my future. I'm
1: so excited. Oh my god. One of
0: us. I just Anyway. (laughs) Okay, whatever. Let's talk about (laughs) Jeopardy. I don't want to talk about this. It's stressing me out in the in the abstract. All right. So on Monday, February twelfth, we have the contestants. Dan Wall, a high school history teacher from Brooklyn, New York. Donna Maturi a librarian from Columbus, Ohio, and and Suryam Krishnan, a consultant from Falls Church, Virginia. The Jeopardy Round categories are Pop Culture Verses, Airline Logos, Initials of Historic People, Some Very Moving Words, Life in the 1920s, and Genius MLKX, which is the upcoming National Geographic, or I guess new, I don't know if it started yet, National Geographic series about Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, read by Kelvin Harrison Jr. Mm-hmm. Video clues.
1: Yeah. I didn't know about that upcoming series, but I thought the category made a compelling case for that being something I'd want to watch.
0: Yeah, I've, I've, it looks good. It looks yeah. really, really compelling and like well done.
1: Yeah, this fact at the $1,000 level, since they marched together, went to jail together, and even had a pillow fight together right before Martin's death. MLK and this minister are referred to as the civil rights twins on the show. Nobody hazarded a guess that is Ralph Abernathy. I wasn't 100% sure if it was Abernathy. There are a number of sort of key leaders who worked with Martin Luther King, who I don't always keep totally straight. But that the pillow fight fact I used in a sermon recently mm. um, on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, I was like focusing on like, joy and like being a whole person you know mm-hmm. that you know it's okay to laugh it's okay to play those things are part of faith and so i was like connecting it to martin luther king and told this story that they had a pillow fight right like tensions were running high they didn't know he was just about to die but they like stuff was
0: stuff was bad
1: stuff was bad <laughs> there, yeah. was a, there was a climate that existed that you know he sensed where this story was likely to end and they had a pillow fight like an hour before he died. Like he he started it. He like picked up a pillow and like, threw it at his buddy. And they were like talking civil rights strategy. And then they had a pillow fight in the hotel room. So never heard that until recently. But then seeing it come up in the Jeopardy clue was cool. That picture of women playing Mahjong in, in the pool.
0: That was wild. <laughs> I mean, Mahjong could be anywhere.
1: Yeah. I just like, do you need a purpose built Mahjong float to get I mean...
0: your... It would help. Yeah. Right.
1: Throw back to your wives of Henry the Eighth. Deep dive. Mm-hmm. At a thousand dollar level of initials of historic people. Fifth wife of Henry the Eighth and possibly Thomas Culpepper's Sneaky Link. CH Donna got that. That's Catherine Howard. Sneaky Link. Daily Double Number One is in life in the 1920s. Pick number 21 at the thousand dollar level. Donna finds it. Donna's at 5,400. Ram is at 3,600. Dan at 2,600. Donna wagers 2,500 and gets the clue. In a 1925 speech, she said, we have got to free women from enforced enslaved maternity. Donna can't come up with the name. I feel like I could see that she sort of knew who this was about and just couldn't mm-hmm. like pull, a, pull an actual name. And she ends up saying, who is Eleanor Roosevelt? Margaret Sanger is the name they were looking for here. Founder of Planned Parenthood, or maybe what would become Planned Parenthood. I don't remember the exact history.
0: Yeah, essentially, yeah.
1: At the end of the Jeopardy round, Donna has regained the lead. She's at four thousand nine hundred. Sriram is at four thousand eight hundred. Dan's at twenty two hundred. And the double Jeopardy categories are fictional characters, oceanography, musicians of the nineteen sixties, homes, international organizations and rhyming synonym
0: never really put it into words but rhyming rhyming synonyms have always kind of confused me in the sense of like these sound essentially the same why do we have both of these words
1: mm, yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm.
0: like i don't know i guess if they come from different places
1: yeah from different languages
0: yeah but like the four hundred dollar level three and four letters long these two words refer to the foremost part of a ship that's the bow or the prow and is there a difference is the prow smaller is the bow differently shaped i don't know yeah, i have I no know. idea because mm-hmm. so many of these i'm like they are interchangeable and they sound essentially the same yeah. i don't know why i had such a visceral reaction to it <laughs> i'm like why do we have these words
1: the $800 level Donna got, but I struggled with fastening part of a necklace and to understand. Those are clasp and grasp. And I guess they're synonyms if you are thinking about to hold something.
0: But, but those grasp- two definitions yeah. are very different. <laughs> but
1: yeah, clasp doesn't mean to understand. And a grasp is not the fastening part of a necklace. So I got, right. I got very tripped up there.
0: Yeah, for sure. That was a weird one to put into that category it's like yeah yeah synonyms with different definitions like well that's Uh not a synonym then 1960s musicians was fun the 400 hundred dollar was a miss butch snipes in seattle and baby boo young in tennessee are thought to have inspired this star to play guitar with his teeth i mean nobody guessed it i guess if you're like not sure there are a number of guitarists you might think of but that's Jimi hendrix Mm, and they knew all the others so that was cool
1: nice Good job.
0: Daily Double Number Two is in Fictional Characters at the $1,200 level. Donna also finds this one. She's up to $10,500. is still at $4,800. Dan's at $5,000. This is pick number six. She wagers $5,000. Gets a clue Michael Connolly named this LAPD detective after a 15th century Dutch painter. And she gets it correct. She must read the books because she says, Who is Harry Bosch? Short for Hieronymus Bosch.
1: I really don't. Know my fictional detectives as well as I could. I think
0: my parents really like the Harry Bosch books. Oh, okay. I have not read any of them.
1: Yeah, and daily double number three is in international organizations at the sixteen hundred dollar level. Pick number twelve, and Dan finds this one. He is trailing. He's at forty two hundred with Sri Rama at sixty eight hundred and Donna at seventeen thousand one hundred, and he makes it a true daily double, I'm trying to get back into the mix here. Uh, Great move. He gets the clue founded in 1831 to support the conquest of Algeria. This organization requires members to use assumed names. And he figures it out. It is the French Foreign Legion.
0: I had never heard that, that they have to use assumed names. Or did I? Anyway, at the end of the double jeopardy round, Donna is in a commanding lead at 20,700, Siram is at 13,200, and Dan is at 6,000. Final jeopardy category is U.S. stamps and the clue is this roman numeral appeared on stamps in a 2022 series for the 50th anniversary of an anti-discrimination law i guess if we go back 50 years you got to try to remember what anti-discrimination law would have been around 1972 dan got it with what is ix 9 for title 9 and wagered just a thousand siram also got it and wagered everything which i i suppose Six of one half dozen of the other with how far ahead mm. Donna is. Because Donna's Donna only has to wager six thousand ish.
1: Yeah, fifty-seven oh one, which would drop her to fifteen thousand if she misses. So yeah, he has to get it right. Unless <laughs> so she he has yeah wagers wrong.
0: And and Dan is close enough that if he got it wrong and bet two and bet like halfway, he'd still fall under anyway. He gets it right, doubles up. Donna missed it. She just wrote what is 62 which i think was off by 10 years anyway if you're going for 50th anniversary but she wagered 5800 and that means that's her own, gets to move on
1: mm-hmm. so that brings us to tuesday february 13th game seven of the second group of the champions wildcard quarterfinals our contestants are nicole rudolph an associate dean from williston park new york Kat Jepson, an artist from Roanoke, Virginia, and Long Wynn, a retired engineer from Las Vegas, Nevada. And the Jeopardy Round categories are lending you a poker hand, rhyming phrases, oh, the places you can go with canon quotation marks, duck soup, it happened in Congress, and 50 Greatest Rappers of All Time. Per (laughs) Billboard and Five.
0: Yeah, not Ken Jennings, which I'm sure he would have picked probably different people. Of course, Long is coming in fresh off of his second chance, right?
1: Mhm. That's right.
0: So, we get to see him coming back in. Yeah. seeing if he'll continue his run.
1: He gave kind of a funny interview talking about that he's the the black sheep of the family because everybody else is like has more education and I don't know, whatever.
0: Or like uh, it has, you know, kids yeah. or like yeah. like somehow they're contributing to the family.
1: Yeah. So, he's gotten an upgrade since winning the the second chance tournament, I guess. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, I
0: don't know. I um, thought it was endearing. Yeah. He ran the poker category Yeah, from bottom to top, but he did do it in order. So mm-hmm. it's cool. It was um, really funny to see Nicole get the $1,000 level of rappers, backed by rap's archetypal hype man, of Flav. This public enemy leader was a rebel without a pause in 1987. She got in there. That's Chuck D. Mm. And... <laughs> it was, she kind of shook her head at it, too. Just, I don't know, not making assumptions necessarily, but given her age and bearing did not seem like that would be her category.
1: Yeah, and she'd already missed the $200 level of that same category. Mm-hmm. She invited us to come into my house and also deal with the wrath of my madness. We bow down before this queen. Nicole tried, who is Beyonce, which fine guess, right? Queen, mm-hmm. Queen B. Beyonce is the queen. I'll, You know, but Kat Kat got the intended response that matches the song titles, Queen Latifah. So I felt like that getting the thousand was sort of redemption also
0: for Nicole. Uh, Daily Double number one is the first pick of the round. Yay. Yay. It's at the $800 (laughs) level of, oh, the places you can go. Everyone's at zero and Long was in position one. So he found it. He wagers a thousand. Too early. (laughs) Yeah, he said too, too early. He wagered a thousand. Got the clue. The accent is on the can," said the woman announcing the name of this newly chosen yet to be built capital in nineteen thirteen. And he gets it with what is Canberra. So at the end of the round, Long's in the lead at sixty six hundred. Cat is at five thousand, and Nicole is at one thousand. Double jeopardy categories are wistful thinking, siblings of note. There's a vaccine for that. Vowelless companies documentaries, and rh factor with rh in quotation marks.
1: Rh factor was an interesting kind of wordplay category because rh can be just an r sound with kind of a silent h. I guess that's coming Mm -hmm. from often coming from Greek, or it can be a compound word where the one syllable ends with r and the next one starts with h. Right. And so you've got a couple of, you know, kind of categories of word you can consider for each of these yeah you know it adds a little difficulty yeah
0: like the 1200 hundred dollar threw me off when it came up where were you in 62 maybe working as one of these on roller skates at a drive-in restaurant and cat got it with what's a car hop and i was like how does that fit the category yeah how does it doesn't start well wait (laughs) yeah it starts with a c what what are you talking about
1: yeah, we were expecting more words like the $1,600 level. This type of doctor specializes in arthritis and autoimmune diseases. That is a rheumatologist, R-H-E-U, et cetera.
0: Kind of a funny miss at the $400 level of vaccine. The clue is biothrax protects against this disease that's transmitted to humans from farm animals long ring in and guessed what is bovine spongiform encephalitis <laughs> like it's a thing right but yeah. also probably not <laughs> that many words in it it's rare that there is a three word or more correct response in jeopardy right <laughs> especially yeah. with so many syllables yeah. like for no other reason than they have to fit it into 20 minutes or whatever <laughs> yeah um that's just anthrax yeah yeah
1: i I thought anthrax and then I thought too easy and then I thought $400 level. And then, you know, I I think I would have stood there trying to decide whether anthrax was too obvious
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: because biothrax like has that.
0: It's halfway there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think we've talked about that. I, for whatever reason, mix up the names Jacques Cousteau and Marcel Marceau. (laughs) (laughs) Both in a way associated with silence, the $1,600 level. I had to get that straightened down in my head again. The 1956 underwater documentary, The Silent World, was co-directed by Louis Mal and this French oceanographer. And that, of course, is Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau. Long got that one. And then Long calls the next clue, which turns out to be Daily Double number two at the $1,600 level of Siblings of Note. Pick number 14. At this point... Long is at 11,000 with Kat at 16,200. Nicole is at 1,000. Long says something like, Well, I mean, you know, I'll wager all of it, (laughs) which we very much did not know, but you know, way to be bold. And he gets the clue Marcel's kid sister, Suzanne Duchamp, caught the bug for this movement with artworks like Accordion Masterpiece. And he got it correct. It's Dada. I got thrown off by seeing the name Marcel right after my <laughs> right after my Jacques Cousteau Marcel Marceau moment, but not everybody needs to be confused about that. That's just my weird little thing.
0: I mean, we could we could all share that. Yeah. And daily double number three is in the vaccine category at the eight hundred dollar level. Pick number twenty, and Cat finds this one. She's up to 18,600, Long's at 23,600, and Nicole is at 3,000. She wagers 7,000 and gets the clue. The CDC wants you to know that the four vaccine shots for this are fairly painless and now given in the arm, not the stomach. She doesn't seem confident, but she says what is rabies, and that is correct.
1: Yep, nice job, Kat. So, at the end of the double jeopardy round, long ties it up for for a moment but cats gained a slim lead once again cats at 28,000 long is at 26,400 nicoles at 3,000 the final jeopardy category is southern politicians and the clue is an article written after his 1935 death asked Will some crown prince arise to take his place? I just talked about name confusion. I have an embarrassing one about this also, but I'll do the answers first. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole- <laughs> this is so bad. How am I good at trivia, but so bad at this. I have so many of these. Nicole correctly responds, who is Huey Long and High Fam and a little heart? She wagered zero. I think, I think her hope is that, you know, her, her one chance to win here is if both of the other contestants make big wagers and get it wrong. Mm -hmm. in Long's case, that would be incorrect. But you know, if everyone wagers correctly, Nicole can't win. So right, you know, hold what you got and hope that the other contestants don't know how to wager, I guess is the move. Long humorously wrote who is long, and (laughs) parentheses, not me. And with a 1601 wager, he goes up to 28,001. But Kat got it correct as well with Who Is Long and a cover bet of $24,801, which has to be a nerve-wracking amount to write down. Gosh. Uh, that puts her up at $52,801 and gives her the semi spot. And my embarrassing name thing is somehow DuckTales, Huey, Ooh. like the names, the names Huey, Dewey, and Louie get me all...
0: Get y'all kind of mixed up? Yeah.
1: Huey Long, Huey Newton, Huey Lewis in the News, like like all the like the Dewey Decimal System, like all of that, it's a soup. It is a soup of Huey, Dewey, and Louie. I knew who they met, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would have been able to produce a correct name because I would have been too stuck on Huey, Dewey, and Louie. <laughs> yeah.
0: There are lots of Hueys and Deweys and Louies out there. Yep. That's a, that's a lifelong endeavor, really. <laughs> all right, so... We get into Wednesday, February 14th, Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is my older daughter's favorite holiday because she loves love. Anyway, we have the contestants Elliot Kim, a television editor from Los Angeles, California. Ilana Redcevic, an investment associate from Chicago, Illinois. And Vince Bacani, a risk manager from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. (laughs) We have the Jeopardy round categories, also a magazine title, low tech. The composer conducts Five for the Road, I Ran, and So Far Away. I enjoyed the composer category. I thought it was pretty simple, but it's nice to get them. Yeah, and
1: interesting facts. I learned new things. I figured out all the answers because they made these all accessible. Yeah. I guess in my mind, Prokofiev is only in Russia.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so six, at the $600 level, Prokofiev conducted the U.S. premiere of his own classical symphony, less redundant than it sounds, at this New York City Hall in 1918. Ilana got it. That is Carnegie Hall. Yeah, I guess, obviously, you know, famous, accomplished people, like, travel around and have traveled around in history doing stuff, but.
0: Right. So was, I, just, um,
1: I picture the Russian composers, you know, just sort of
0: being over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, especially after nineteen eighteen, as especially as we got more into the like Stalin era of the Soviet Union, they did leave less. Yeah, I they
1: guess that's cer- probably certainly part did of leave less. Assumption. Yeah,
0: yeah, but like nineteen eighteen, like you know, this brand new Prokofiev was well known uh, in and out of Russia.
1: I'm actually a little confused about why the eight hundred dollar level of low tech is low tech. The original cover for the Rolling Stones album Sticky Fingers came with a functioning one of these fasteners. That's a zipper. I didn't know that.
0: It doesn't I don't know, it doesn't use electricity.
1: Okay, it doesn't use electricity. It's a relatively recent technology, I guess, is what made me think of sure. it as not low tech per se. But it yeah, but mm-hmm. it
0: doesn't require any machinery or yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
0: like I don't know, gears or anything. I don't know. Yeah. That that would be my guess yeah, as to that's why. Fair.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. The low tech category is where we find daily double number one at the $1,000 level. It's pick number three, so we're finding it pretty early. Vince uncovers this one. He's at 1000 everybody else is at zero, and he makes it a true daily double. And he gets the clue, a French word for hook, gives us the name of this craft that uses a hooked needle. And he gets it correct. That is crochet. There's at least one Jeopardy alum who is a very accomplished crocheter and like won like a state fair award and i've learned from her social media that there's weird competitiveness and like elitism between knitters and crocheters and like kn- knitter bias against crocheters in particular
0: looking down at the crocheters like yeah yeah. yeah
1: the uh, things the
0: things people get elitist about
1: Yeah, we were talking about that, I think, not on the podcast a while back about like skiers being elitist towards snowboarders.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. same same
1: kind of vibe. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Vince is at 5,600, Ilana's at 3,400, Elliot's at 2,200, and the double Jeopardy categories are Snakes in a Book, American Organizations with American in quotation marks, Tough 10 Letter Words, The Air That I Breathe, 1970s movies and those meddling kid kings and queens. They struggled on that very first pick at the $1,200 level of American organizations. This organization, the AOS for short, is literally for the birds. Elliot rang in and said, What is the avian organization? and then realized that it needed to have American in its name, so it needed to be American something. I think that's what he realized. Maybe he couldn't come up with an S and had forgotten the category. Anyway, he said, Sorry, I don't know. And then Ilana rang in, and I think she said, what's the American Ornithological Society? And then yeah. tried to correct herself to Ornithology Society.
0: Too late.
1: And then yeah. Vince rang in and said, what is the American Ornithology Society? And none of those is correct. Ilana's first attempt was correct, except she mispronounced it. American Ornithological Society. She said Orinth. Yeah. Instead of Ornith. So got, got a couple of sounds out of order. Yeah. So close. Good pull for Alana at the $2,000 level of snakes in a book. The Green Witch turns into a snake to attack Prince Rillian in this Narnia book whose title refers to what Rillian sits in. That is the Silver Chair. Not one of the better remembered Narnia books. So. Yeah. I think $2,000 level is appropriate for that. And like good pull.
0: Yeah, I would say probably the least remembered.
1: Maybe the yeah. horse and his boy.
0: I really liked horse and his boy.
1: I, I know, I know you did. And I also
0: remember it's very problematic. Like I get yeah. it. Yeah, I really uh, like uh, the story.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's. I mean, it's okay to like something that's problematic, but I feel like because it's outside of the main sequence, I feel like it is maybe even less remembered than the silver chair. But sure. I don't know. Sure, good story though. Very adventurous, adventureful, I don't, whatever. <laughs>
0: adventure, adventure, adventurely.
1: Yeah. The $1200 level of tough 10-letter words. The artwork scene here is titled this, a weird-looking baby substituted by fairies for a newborn. And nobody tried that. I got a little stuck. I was first trying to think of like what that artwork style was. I was like, is that a lithograph? And is lithograph 10 letters? Like lithograph is 10 letters. Oh, great. And then I was like, nope. Title. You need to come up with what that is. It's a changeling. That's
0: what that mm-hmm. was called yep daily double number two is the second pick of the round uh it's in American organizations at the sixteen hundred dollar level. Elliot finds it he is at just one thousand Vince is at forty four hundred ilana is at twenty two hundred and he wagers two thousand the maximum gets a clue chartered by Congress in nineteen nineteen It's the largest veterans organization in the u s with nearly two million members and he doesn't know he guesses what is the va which i don't isn't a terrible guess i guess but it is the american legion so we just had the french foreign legion Mm -hmm. now we have the american legion two very different
1: groups yes indeed and daily double number three is at the 1600 dollar level of 1970s movies Uh, pick number five and vince finds this one He's at 8,400 with Hilana at 2,200. Elliot's at negative 1,000 at this point. He wagers 5,000 and he gets the clue. This 1976 drama ends with the typed out words Gerald Ford to become 38th president at noon today. And he gets that one. That's all the president's men.
0: Hmm.
1: All the king's men is the one that's about Huey Long, right?
0: Yes, I believe so. Yeah that's another like <laughs> about about, about louis louis Del- oh no that one sounds bad uh, yes yeah yeah <laughs> um, and then yeah all the president's men is woodward and bernstein so at the end of the double jeopardy round vince is in the lead at sixteen thousand six hundred. 600 Lana is at ten thousand six hundred, and elliot is at forty six hundred. final jeopardy category is broadway plays and the clue is rita moreno and Sally Struthers were the first to star in the female version of this comedy, their characters becoming Olive and Florence. Elliot wagered $1 and said, What is Happy Valentine's Day, EK Hart HK? Very sweet, but incorrect. And so Elliot loses $1. Alana wrote, What is the Two Gentlemen of Verona? I guess I don't know if that ended up on Broadway at any point, but it is a. Play title with two gentlemen in it. Yep. That's incorrect. She wagered everything. 10,600. And Vince got it correct with what is the odd couple? Uh, that is a play that the high school I used to work at put on. A female version. Because we had precisely one boy interested in theater. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so
0: Vince increases his lead and moves on to the semifinals.
1: And so Thursday, we're at game nine, the last of the quarterfinals for group two, our contestants are David Betterman, an attorney from Los Angeles, California, James Tyler, a senior editor from Blandon, Pennsylvania, and Deandra D'Alessio, a technical writer from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, with the Jeopardy round categories around the world, Jackson, chemistry test, pop music, safe mode, and F8, eight letter words beginning with the letter F.
0: Real disappointing triple stumper. Double miss. $400 level of around the world. To the north, Minnesota is bordered by Manitoba and this other province. David guessed what is Saskatchewan. It's incorrect, Deandra guessed what is Alberta. Which, you know, really is rough for Deandra because she's, you know, of course from Canada. And as we discussed earlier last week, I think, every Canadian needs to know everything about Canada. Yes. That's Ontario.
1: Yeah, if you need your mnemonic again, Canadian provinces are like, helpfully, in a row, (laughs) like, you can just be like, from west to east, they are, and that's clear, whereas you can't name the United States of America from west to east. It's true. Yeah, Billy and Sally made our queen nervous, playing near needles. So I was like, okay, I don't really remember where Minnesota fits in, because the United States is a complicated jigsaw puzzle, and I get a little mixed up. But... It's either Saskatchewan or Ontario. So once David gets Saskatchewan, I knew which one it was.
0: Yeah. I mean, Ontario is like, it's it's like the whole Lakes region, essentially, is Ontario. Yeah. All the way over to New York, and then you get a little bit of Quebec above yep. New England.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: you can also go back to my deep dive on Canadian geography. Yes. Because I also had that moment of, I don't know anything about Canada. Uh.
1: Speaking of which, let me mention to listeners that I realized today while we were recording that I had a fully edited early December episode that somehow did not upload. So I'm going to fix that after we record. And you can go back and listen to Kyle's excellent Stonehenge Deep Dive, which I greatly enjoyed and thought was available to you.
0: Oh, no. (laughs) I wonder if I put the quiz questions up and people were like, oh, I bet
1: bet you did. I bet you did. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. So anyway, I'll, I'll go sort that out after we record and then it'll be there. God willing. The $800 level of pop music. She's named in honor of her grandfather, William. The rest of her name is Pirate Baird O'Connell. Deandra got that? That's Billie Eilish. Who knew?
0: I, I mean, apparently Deandra. Deandra did. But yeah, also, I mean, Billie Eilish is a fine stage name, but you had Pirate Baird O'Connell right there. I feel like that by itself is a great stage name. Yeah. You know,
1: it was it was right there.
0: But maybe uh, I mean, I guess maybe just get bored with your own name. Uh.
1: Yeah, I, I think Deandra might be a Swifty. You think so? I, well, OK, the $200 level of F8 collective term for the traditional legends of a culture handed down orally, there could have been all kinds of reasons that she had like a knowing little smile when she said folklore. But I was uh. like, I was like, maybe she's thinking of the Taylor Swift album. And then she also got the $200 level of pop music. She sorts her songs based on the pens used to write them. Fountain Quill or Glitter Gel? You Need to Calm Down is Glitter Gel. Of course it is. Deandra also got that one. That's
0: Taylor Swift. Daily Double number one is again the first pick in the round. That's twice this week. It's in the Around the World category at the $800 level. Deandra finds this, of course, because she's in the first spot. And she wagers a 1,000, gets a clue. Once you come ashore from this gulf, they showed a picture, you can enjoy the delights of Hypong. And she gets it correct with what is the Gulf of Tonkin. hmm So at the end of the Jeopardy round, DeAndre's at 7,000, James is at 4,000, David is also at 4,000. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, dealing with things diplomatically. Pop culture. Where did that come from? Miscellaneous knowledge. One word play titles, and those words packed something to eat. Which were just words with words in them. Yep. Like the 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 first pick was the $1,200 clue. There's lunch meat nestled in this cloth used for polishing. DeAndre guess what is cheesecloth? I don't think that's a bad guess.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I can see how it doesn't necessarily fit the conceit of the category, but I don't necessarily agree that it's not acceptable. Because if cheesecloth is used for polishing, it has cheese in it.
1: But cheese isn't lunch meat.
0: Oh, that! Oh, you're right. You know what? You're right. You're so yeah. right.
1: I think cheesecloth is also typically not used for polishing.
0: I don't know what cheesecloth is really used for. Yeah. Anyway, the, the correct response James got it is chamois.
1: Yeah. Although he says uh, chamois, people hand. say chamois, and I just can't bring myself to say it because it's got the OIS on the end.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know. Maybe I'm being pretentious, but. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah.
0: It has ham in it, though.
1: Yes. The, which everyone, <laughs> <Don't>, everyone,
0: <laughs> the next time you polish, you better use ham.
1: Don't polish with a, with a chamois that has ham in it. It's a bad idea. I think it's Why gonna not?
0: Like, I it's going to smell time. like delicious honey-baked ham.
1: I guess and I then, hadn't, yeah. I, I hadn't put together until we had a miss and a rebound at the $1,200 level of pop culture that there are two different folks' character syrup bottles In 2009, it was revealed that Joy is the first name of this pancake syrup spokes character. David tried who is Aunt Jemima. I guess Aunt Jemima's first name is Jemima, right? That makes sense. Yeah. And then DeAndre got the rebound. It's Mrs. Butterworth.
0: Mrs. Butterworth.
1: Yeah, it hadn't registered that those were separate things.
0: Right. I'm just now thinking about how, like, the longer you had a Mrs. Butterworth bottle, the more, like, of a grotesque mockery of its figure, it becomes as like more <laughs> and more like drips of syrup harden on the outside. Oh yeah. You know, and it turns into this weird, like melted candle figure. <laughs> I don't know why I was just like given this very like, very like visceral memory of it.
1: Yeah. David had a miss at the $1,600 level of those words packed something to eat. And I thought I thought he had a pretty good response though. The English word for unagi is inside this old pirate torture where you got dragged by ropes under the ship unagi sushi is eel sushi uh, is Mm -hmm. how i got into that i think that's probably kind of what he got and then came up with what's the wheel which was an old torture device but not the one they were referencing keel hauling is what they Mm -hmm. were looking for yeah that's enough about torture though
0: yeah oh like oh man yeah two thousand dollar level of dealing with things diplomatically D'Andra got it right, so it's not a triple-tumper, but it reminded me that there's another list of things I need to memorize. In 1956, this UN Secretary General from Sweden worked with Canada's Lester Pearson to resolve the Suez Crisis. That's Hammerskjöld. Mm-hmm. When I see a name of a UN Secretary General, I'm like, oh yes, they were a UN Secretary General. But if you were to ask me to name any of them other than Kofi Annan, I'd be like, sorry. Mm-hmm. So I need to I need to commit those to memory.
1: Yeah, Hammerskjöld who I probably wouldn't have been able to remember. and
0: There's Boutros boutros I remember. I yeah. Because that. that's the best name to ever, ever been named.
1: Who's the one who they joke about his name in Wayne's World?
0: Sun Young Moon or something like that? I don't think it's appropriate for the podcast.
1: Has that movie held up? Who knows?
0: It's been a while, but I think it has, probably. Yeah, probably. Utant. Oh, Utant, yes.
1: Yeah. Right. I don't remember what the joke was about his name but I remember being like that's not a real name when I was like you know walking through the (laughs) living room where my parents and their friends were watching Wayne's World (laughs) it is a real name daily double number two is at the two thousand dollar level of one word play titles pick number six and Deandra finds it she's at 8,600 with James at 7,200 and David at 2,400 she wagers 3,000 and she gets the clue. This 2005 Pulitzer Prize winner by John Patrick Shanley is set in a Bronx Catholic school in 1964. And she knows this one. It is doubt.
0: And Daily Double number three is in dealing with things diplomatically at the $800 level. Pick number 21 much later, but Deandra finds this one as well. She hit all three. She's up to 18,000. James is at 10,800. And David's at 7,200. She wagers 5,000. Wants to lock this down. Gets the clue the 6th century Peloponnesian League was a coalition of city-states led by this one, big on the military. And she gets correct with what is Sparta.
1: Mm -hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Deandra's in a big lead, but not a lock position. She's at 24,600, with James at 12,800, and David is at 7,600. The final Jeopardy! category is Landmarks, and the clue is the distance between its two legs at ground level is 630 feet, making it as wide as it is tall. And this was a triple stumper. Did you figure it out? I figured it out.
0: Distance between... I don't don't think I did.
1: Oh, okay. No, I, I did not. All right. So David tried what is the Eiffel Tower. That is incorrect. The Eiffel Tower is taller than it is wide it also Mm -hmm. has more than more than two legs at ground level but better to write something than nothing david has wagered everything so he drops to zero james tried what is christ the redeemer i guess he does have two legs
0: yeah i was trying to think of a statue and then i was like maybe some other sculpture but i just i went outside of the united states i just did not consider a thing in the u.s
1: yeah that makes sense christ the redeemer is incorrect James has wagered everything. He also drops to zero. And Deandra also tried what is the Eiffel Tower, but she was in a big lead. So her cover bet was pretty small, $1,001. She drops to $23,599 and gets that semifinal spot. And what we were looking for here was the Gateway Arch in St. Mm-hmm. Louis, which I guess I would have assumed that it was taller than it was wide. So that, that's interesting. But yeah.
0: Brings us to Friday, February 16th, when we get the first of the semifinal games, which is going to kind of throw off next week. But anyway, we get the semifinalists Mira Hayward, a podcast host from Portland, Oregon, Vince Piccani, a risk manager from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and Sriram Krishnan, a consultant from Falls Church, Virginia. Jeopardy round categories are presidential TV. You need to name the president who is the focus of each of these TV movies or miniseries fiction and nonfiction dog's life. That's got two hyphens transportation and I'm Cuban weird thing. (laughs) I don't know what to call it at the $600 level of I'm Cuban born in Cuba. This Havana singer came to the U S at age six and they showed a picture. Vince said, who is Cabea? which was accepted initially and then later ruled incorrect cuz her name is Cabello or you know Camilla Cabello Cabello yeah. I guess and if you're going to pronounce the the double l that way it would still be Cabello uh, Yeah I assume
1: it I assume the final vowel was the problem Yeah and He pronounced it as if it was maybe an a or something and it's yeah. an o Yeah We had a bit of a funny moment at the $200 level of transportation, serving 16 million passengers a year. Their fleet vehicles feature a dog on the hood. Vince rang in and then I think panicked a little bit because he realized he was in the category transportation, not a dog's life, but he said it anyway. He said, what is Greyhound? Oh, no. And then Ken ruled him correct and he was astounded.
0: Triple stumper at the $600 level of presidential TV. The man from Independence. Nobody even even tried it. Harry Truman. Notable Missouri. Missouriite. Missouri man. Mm -hmm. Missourian. Missourian.
1: Yeah, that's the one. All of them. Uh, No idea. Nailed
0: it. Got it in one.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Daily double number one comes up, and that's got two hyphens. It's at the $600 level, and Vince finds it at pick number 12. He's at 1600 with Srirama at 3200 and Mira at 3800. He makes it a true daily double and he gets the clue Charles V chose to put three of these floral symbols on France's royal emblem and he gets it correct. It is a fleur de lis. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Mira's at 8000. She is really Cloken. going for it. Yeah. Sri Ram and Vince are tied at 4600 and the double Jeopardy categories are Canadian geography, mythology, Science stuff, notable names, describing the song, and oh my word, with my in quotation marks.
0: Yeah. Canadian geography coming up again. We had yes. a particular question yesterday. It wasn't a whole <laughs> category, but like, gotta know your Canadian geography. hmm
1: Yeah, Vince went right for that, went for the $2,000 level and missed The $2,000 level there was the world's largest freshwater archipelago. Ontario's Georgian Bay Islands are found in this great lake. He rang in and said, what is superior? That wasn't correct. And it turned into a triple stumper. It's Lake Huron, which started off Vince's chorus of saying, oh, my God. After almost every question, (laughs) bless him. I think he just got a little shaken this round. Yeah.
0: I mean, it happens. Yeah, it does. Like the $2,000 Level of mythology also had his response there. The clue is he was just a shepherd when he was asked to judge which of three goddesses was the most beautiful. Nobody even tried it. That's Paris. The judgment Mm -hmm. of Paris. Yeah. That's the whole whole impetus for the Trojan War.
1: Oh, uh, I was just mere moments ago talking about my Canadian geography mnemonic. And here you have it at the $800 level lying between the 49th and the 60th parallels of latitude, it's the only province with no natural features defining its border. And they had a map with Alberta and Manitoba marked and a rectangle between them that is Saskatchewan. And Mira got that one. Billy and Sally made our queen nervous. It's like right before this in the podcast because mm-hmm. of the- Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> mere <laughs> moments before.
0: Right. It's been like 36 hours for us. But- <laughs> yeah. It was weird to have the $2,000 level of my- According to legend, this prehistoric Greek city was Agamemnon's capital. Vince guest what is Mykonos? Which I think still exists. But that is Mycenae. Mira got that. But that's not over in the mythology category. Mm, yeah. Throwing me off. Mm-hmm. Just like Greyhounds not in the dog category. What are you doing? Yeah. You doing writers.
1: Yeah, you know, messing with us. Yeah. I didn't know a lot of the describing the song ones, but the twelve 1200- hundred dollar level various people who live lives of quiet desperation like davy in the navy yell at billy joel to sing at a
0: watering hole (laughs) you've talked about this before (laughs) have i talked about it before you've i mean you sent me the did
1: oh yes that's right okay so i must have talked about my favorite piano man parody where the people are trying to get him to sing piano man It's so good. It's yeah, so good. You have to go g- find it.
0: <laughs> yes, it is very good. It's thoroughly enjoyable. Also, uh, I read something that, like Piano Man makes a lot more sense if you find out that he's at a gay bar.
1: Yes, it absolutely does.
0: Mm-hmm. That And he doesn't yeah. realize it is the yeah. thing. Doesn't
1: yeah. realize he's at a gay bar. Yeah, that it makes the whole thing make so much more sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, Daily Double number two is the third pick in the round. It's in Mythology at the $1,600 level. Mira finds it. She's at 9,600. Suram is at 4,600. Vince is at 2,600. She wagers 4,000 and gets the clue. The names of these two goddesses, Zeus's wife and Zeus's mother, are anagrams of each other in English. And she got it correct with what are Hera and Rhea or Rhea. Would it be Rhea or would it be Rhea?
1: It would be Rhea. I'm pretty sure. Rhea. Okay. Yeah. And daily double number three is at the twelve hundred dollar level of notable names. It's pick number thirteen. Vince finds it. He has five thousand at this point. Mira's up at thirteen thousand six hundred. Sri Ram is back at twenty six hundred. He says, "Out of respect to my fellow contestants, all of it." He gets the clue. In 1919, this American scientist published a method of reaching extreme altitudes. He tries who is bar, but they were trying to point toward rocketry. The name Mm -hmm. for that is Goddard. Goddard. So he drops
0: to zero. Yep, but he's going for it. I don't don't blame him for going for it. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Mira is in a locked position at eighteen thousand four hundred, just out of reach of Siram's nine thousand, and Vince is back at thirty two hundred. Final Jeopardy category is theater, and the clue: a nineteen fifty five play review noted "Restless Delta Folk" and "Lives as uncomfortable and insecure as the proverbial." This title, Vince got it correct with what is Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I guess each individual word is short, but that's a lot to write. And then he thanked people in different languages. Saram got it incorrect with what is a dream come true again, probably for being on Jeopardy. Vince also wagered nothing, because it's like double locked. Saram wagered nothing. And Mira got it correct with what is Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Thank you, Vince and Saram. And also wagered nothing. So she moves on to the finals. And that will continue next week. With the last of the wild cards, does that mean that the
1: the tournament does, of champions is tournament of champions
0: starts next week? They've like, started
1: announcing the matchups.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, the quarterfinals will start on Friday, February twenty third. Okay. So yeah, the very well, first it was just match New will Year's, be. So
1: who knows when that will be? But no, that's that's coming right yes. up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah that's that's fair. That's a good mm-hmm. point. Uh, yeah, Emily Sands, Suresh Krishnan, and Matthew Marcus will be that first match. How about that? That feels weird. Yeah. Feels weird. And then Chris Panulo. Oh my gosh, Chris Panulo. That was I mean, yay, but that was so long ago. I know. <laughs> like crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Mhm. So, we have that to look forward to next week. I am excited about the Tournament of Champions. I'm always excited about the Tournament of Champions. Mm-hmm. It's always enjoyable to watch and always f- cathartic for me to be like, well, these boards are easier than my boards. Mm-hmm. But that's just what I do. So that's the end of this week. And this is the point where we, where we remind you we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. Emily, did you put the quiz questions up last week? I did not. Hey, hey, we're on a streak.
1: <laughs> the wrong kind of streak.
0: We'll see if we <laughs> is there, is keep there it a going. Wrong... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to log in right now and hopefully I won't just automatically close it. Whether or not. <laughs> The purpose of our Patreon, to be to be quite frank, is not specifically to provide you with bonus content, although we do that. It is more specifically to provide you with an opportunity to give us money Mm -hmm. because it costs money to do things. So we appreciate everyone who is doing that and has done that so far and continues to do that. You make it so that we don't have to stress about paying for this thing while also doing it. So you can go to patreon.com slash potent potables to check that out. And of course, there are more important things to spend money on. If you've got some extra money that you feel like should go to an important cause, you can check out our show notes Mm -hmm. for things we think are important. Emily. Yes, Kyle. Would you like to inform the good people as to what we are talking about this week?
1: Is it the Gateway Arch
0: in St. Louis? It is not. I know that was a missed Final Jeopardy, but I was like, we literally just talked about a a tall landmark.
1: Yeah, it's true. All right. How about Margaret Sanger?
0: Not Margaret Sanger. She was shortlisted, but I chose not to.
1: Okay. How about Robert Goddard, the father of modern rocketry?
0: Robert Goddard is also not the person I chose. It it was also on the shortlist. I actually went just below that clue in the notable names category on Friday to the $1,600 level. Unbought and Unbossed was a campaign slogan and an autobiography by this first African-American congresswoman. Mm. That's Shirley Chisholm. It sure is.
1: I don't know a lot about her.
0: Exactly. I was like, I feel like I should know more about her. Her name is a name that I can never remember Mm. when the question comes up. Like, I know, like, who she is. If I see a picture, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the first African-American congresswoman Mm -hmm. whose name I can't pull to mind right now. So I was like, you know what? We should talk about Shirley Chisholm. She's probably super important so that's what i'm gonna do shirley anita chisholm born shirley anita saint hill was born on november 30th 1924 in brooklyn new york she is of guyanese and Bayesians. basian descent i keep having to look up the pronunciation for it from barbados she had three younger sisters two born within three years of her and one later Her father was born in British Guiana before moving to Barbados, and then he came to New York City through Cuba in 1923. And her mother, Ruby Seal, was born in Christchurch, Barbados, and then moved to New York City in 1921. So both of her parents are Caribbean immigrants. Her father was a laborer, worked in a factory that made burlap bags and her mother was a skilled seamstress but had difficulty working outside the home while simultaneously raising her children and so in 1929 when Shirley turned 5 she and two of her sisters were sent to Barbados to live with their maternal grandmother Shirley later attributed that experience to you know her, her personal strength as well as her quality foundation of education, saying that years later, she would know what an important gift her parents had given her by seeing to it that she had an early education in the strict traditional British style schools of Barbados. Religion became important to her there. She was part of a Quaker brethren sect in the West Indies. Later in life, she attended a Methodist church. And she, from that point on, always considered herself a Barbadian American. Beginning in 1939, she attended girls' school in the Bedford Stuyvesant. Is that pronounced stuyvesant
1: yeah stuyvesant okay bed stuy
0: <laughs> uh yeah in in brooklyn a highly regarded integrated school she did well academically chosen vice president of the junior arista honor society she was accepted at and offered scholarships to vassar college and oberlin college but the family couldn't afford the room and board for her to go there so she selected brooklyn college where there was no charge for tuition and she could live at home She earned a Bachelor of Arts from Brooklyn College in 1946, majoring in sociology and minoring in Spanish, and she won awards for her debating skill and graduated cum laude. She was a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority and the Harriet Tubman Society, where she advocated for inclusion, specifically in terms of integration of Black soldiers in the military during World War II, as well as taking courses that focus on African American history and the involvement of more women in the student government. Her father, as she was growing up, was an avid supporter of Marcus Garvey and a dedicated supporter of the rights of trade union members. And so she grew up in that kind of atmosphere, and it was like natural for her to gravitate toward. She met Conrad O. Chisholm in the late 1940s. He had migrated to the United States from Jamaica in 1946, later became a private investigator who specialized in negligence-based lawsuits, and they got married in 1949 in a large West Indian-style wedding. She had two miscarriages shortly thereafter, and to the disappointment... the couple would have no children. After graduating from college, Chisholm began working as a teacher's aide at Mount Calvary Child Care Center in Harlem, and she would work at that center in a teaching role until 1953. She was furthering her education and in the meantime going to classes at night and earning her Master of Arts in Childhood Education from Teachers College of Columbia University in 1951. Her political career kind of coincided with her early teaching career, From 1953 to 54, she was the director of the Friend-in-Need Nursery in Brownsville, Brooklyn. Then from 54 to 59, she was the director of the Hamilton-Madison Child Care Center in Lower Manhattan. From 59 to 64, she was an educational consultant for the Division of Daycare in New York City's Bureau of Child Welfare, and she became an authority on early education and child welfare issues. In 1953, she entered the world of politics when she joined Wesley Holder, Wesley Mack, Holder's effort to elect Lewis Flagg Jr. to the bench as the first black judge in Brooklyn. The Flagg election group later transformed into the Bedford-Stuyvesant Political League, or the BSPL, which pushed candidates to support civil rights, fought against racial discrimination in housing, and sought to improve economic opportunities and services in Brooklyn. She left the group in 1958 after clashing with Holder over Chisholm's push to give female members of the group more input in decision-making. Not surprising that she would leave hmm, when yep. there's pushback on that. Yeah, right? seriously. She also worked as a volunteer for uh, white-dominated political clubs in Brooklyn, like the Brooklyn Democratic Club and the League of Women Voters. Within the political league, she was part of a committee that chose the recipient of its annual Brotherhood Award, and she was also a representative of the Brooklyn branch of the National Association of College Women. Through these organizations and, and her roles in these organizations, she sought to make meaningful changes to the structure and makeup of organizations, which recruited in her being able to recruit more people of color into various clubs and thus into local politics. In 1960, she joined a new organization, the Unity Democratic Club, or UDC, led by former flag campaign member Thomas R. Jones. The UDC was mostly middle class racially integrated and included women in leadership position. She campaigned for Jones, who lost the election for assembly seat in 1960, but ran again two years later and won, becoming Brooklyn's second black assemblyman. After Jones accepted a judicial appointment, rather than seeking re-election, Chisholm sought to run for his seat in the New York State Assembly in 1964. She faced resistance, obviously, because of her sex and her race. But in this case, and as she found through most of her experiences throughout her life that she was very candid about, she faced more discrimination being a woman than being a black person. Her her stance was men are men. Hmm. Yeah. She won the Democratic primary in June 1964. Then she won the seat in December with over 18,000 votes over the Republican and Liberal Party candidates. She was a member of the New York State Assembly from 1965 to 1968, And she was honored in the Salute to Woman Doers Affair in New York in 1965. She argued against the state's literacy test requiring English, holding that just because a person functions better in their native language is no sign that a person is illiterate. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. We're still fighting that fight in American education. By early 1966, she was a leader in the push by the statewide Council of Elected Negro Democrats for Black representation on key committees in the Assembly. She was successful in getting unemployment benefits extended to domestic workers, and also sponsored the introduction of a SEEK program, Search for Education, Elevation, and Knowledge to the State, which provided disadvantaged students with a chance to enter college while receiving intensive remedial education. She was a DNC committee woman from New York State in 1968. So in 1968, she ran for the U.S. House of Representatives for New York's 12th Congressional District, which had been recently significantly redrawn to focus on bedford stuyvesant and was thus expected to result in brooklyn's first black member of congress the incumbent ran in a different district because of the redrawing her campaign slogan was unbought and unbossed which was later also the title of her autobiography she defeated two other black opponents in the june 1968 primary and in the general election, she staged an upset victory over James Farmer, the former director of the Congress of Racial Equality, who was running as a Liberal Party candidate with Republican support, winning by a two to one margin. And she became the first black woman elected to Congress and the only woman in the first year class that year. She was assigned by Speaker of the House John W. McCormick to serve on the House Agricultural Committee. She did not notably, like understandably felt that that was an irrelevant placement given uh, her urban district uh? and wanted to represent her constituents. That is,
1: that, that's something.
0: So she expressed that to some colleagues, and then she buckled down and got to work. She met with Bob Dole and worked with him to expand the food stamp program. It later played a critical role in the creation of the special supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children, or the WIC program. She was also later then placed on the Veterans Affairs Committee. She later voted for Hale Boggs as House Majority Leader. As a reward for her support, Boggs assigned her to the much-prized Education and Labor Committee, which is what she was really looking for. She was the third highest-ranking member of the committee when she retired from Congress. Initially, she hired only women for her office, and half of them were Black. Later on, she did hire some men for her offices, but like I said, she knew that she faced uh, more discrimination for being a woman than for her race. She was a founding member of the Congressional Black Caucus and National Women's Political Caucus in 1971. She also helped introduce a bill to provide $10 billion in federal funds for child care services by 1975, although that was vetoed by president richard nixon who said that it was too expensive and would undermine the institution of the family because mm-hmm. helping families out with money undermines the institution of the family that yeah, makes sense makes a ton of sense makes all the sense that has ever sensed mm-hmm. in 1972 she ran for president she began exploring her candidacy in 71 formally announced her presidential bid on in january 1972 in a baptist church in her district in Brooklyn. She called for a quote-unquote bloodless revolution at the forthcoming Democratic nominating convention. She became the first African American to run for a party's nomination for president of the United States, and also the first woman to run for the Democratic Party's nomination. Apparently, Margaret Chase Smith had run for the Republican nomination in 1964. In her presidential announcement, she described herself as a representative of the people and offered a new articulation of the American identity. I am not the candidate of Black America, although I am Black and proud. I am not the candidate of the women's movement of this country, although I am a woman and equally proud of that. I am the candidate of the people, and my presence before you symbolizes a new era in American political history. Her campaign only spent about $300,000 in total. She also struggled to be viewed as a serious candidate rather than a symbolic political figure. She did not get much support from hardly anyone. Her husband was fully supportive of her candidacy and said, I have no hang-ups about a woman running for president. There were three confirmed threats made against her life during this time, too, so her like security was an issue. She skipped the New Hampshire primary and instead focused on the Florida primary for March 14th of that year due to its Blacks youths and a strong women's movement, but she only made two campaign trips there and ended up with 3.5% of the vote for a disappointing 7th place finish. She had difficulties gaining ballot access, but campaigned to receive votes in primaries in 14 states. Her largest number of votes came in California, and her best percentage came in North Carolina. But she won 28 delegates during the primary process, but nowhere close to, close to enough. In June, she did become the first woman to appear in a United States presidential debate. The 1972 Democratic National Convention, of course, has its own story, and I'm not going to super get into it, but it has Hubert Humphrey and George McGovern and these, you know, names of American political history. During the campaign, German filmmaker Peter Lilenthal shot the documentary film Shirley Chisholm for President for the German television channel ZDF. <laughs> this is like, cool, cool Germans. Nice. Later on, she created controversy when she visited George Wallace in the hospital soon after his shooting in May of 1972. And several years later, when she worked on a bill to give domestic workers the right to a minimum wage, Wallace helped gain votes from enough Southern congressmen to push the legislation through the House. So She was clearly willing to cross the aisle. She served as secretary of the Democratic caucus from 1977 to 1981, and she continued working to improve opportunities for inner city residents, supporting increases for education, health care, other social services as well as concerns with instances of discrimination against women, especially against impoverished women. She also focused on land rights for Native Americans. She opposed American involvement in the Vietnam War and the expansion of weapon developments. She was a vocal opponent of the draft, and she called for better treatment of Haitian refugees, specifically during the Carter administration, but also the refugees just kind of across the board. She was a forceful advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment. Alongside all of this, she was aware of how much second-wave feminism in the United States focused on concerns of middle-class white women, and she was outspoken about that. Uh, At the 1973 National Women's Political Caucus, she said that women of color were faced with double discrimination that especially affected them economically, and that the women's movement needed to make changes to reflect better such women and their concerns. Uh, We're still still having that conversation, too. (laughs) Intersectionality. Yep. Chisholm's first marriage ended in a divorce, granted in February of 1977 in the Dominican Republic. And later that year, in November, she married Arthur Hardwick Jr., who she knew from her time in the New York Assembly. They got married in a Buffalo area hotel. And though she legally changed her name to Hardwick, she would continue going by Chisholm in politics. The mid to late 70s, there was growing dissatisfaction with her among some liberals in New York and city politics who felt that she too often sided with Democratic Party bosses over liberal Black or feminist challengers. And there there are a number of of instances in this case. There was an article published in the Village Voice in 1978 titled Chisholm's Compromises Politics and the Art of Self-Interest. And she found herself running into a number of political opponents kind of from here on whether they were simply being opportunistic, or they just didn't like that she was, you know, a black woman who was able to do things, she ended up running into a number of, like I said, obstacles. Hardwick was badly injured in April 1979 in an automobile accident, and Shirley had a desire to take care of her husband and also was dissatisfied with the course of liberal politics in the wake of the Reagan revolution, and she decided to leave Congress. She may have also had a strong challenge in her primary election coming up, but who knows if that was a factor. She announced her retirement in February of 1982 and wanted to move to a more private life. Also expressed frustration that the Reagan administration was not responsive to our constituency. The constituency is going to be more voluble and demanding, and I find myself in a position where I cannot help them. She also lamented the tactics of the Christian right, which she said made potent use of the media and the symbols of family, morality, and the national flag to quiet dissatisfaction of the people. And so she decided to leave and try to make a return to teaching. After leaving Congress in January of 83, she made her home in Williamsville, New York, which is apparently a suburb of Buffalo, and sought to resume her education career. She hoped to be named a college president. I, I think it's more, more than hoped, she like applied uh, yeah. to, be, to be named a college president, particularly at Medgar Evers College in Brooklyn or City College of New York in Manhattan, but political opponents from her past were influential in the selection process, and she received neither post. Similarly, a move to make her New York City Schools Chancellor was blocked by the teachers' union head and longtime foe, Albert Shanker, who, Mm. if you're a teacher, you know who Albert Shanker is. He was the president of the United Federation of Teachers from 64 to 85, Mm. uh, and then the president of the American Federation of Teachers from 74 to 1997. He's a big name in, like, uh, you know, teacher union. Yeah. Yeah. She was offered a bunch of possible teaching positions at colleges, and she accepted the Purington chair at the all women Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts. She held that position for the next four years. She wasn't a member of any particular department, but could just kind of teach whatever she wanted to teach, which sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, she taught a fun. lot of she taught classes titled Congress, Power and Politics and and things like that, and really enjoyed being able to bring her perspective to mostly white, mostly affluent students. She continued some political activity. She co-founded an organization initially known as the National Black Women's Political Caucus during the vice-presidential campaign of Geraldine Ferraro, later it was simplified to the National Congress for Black Women. She continued to give speeches at colleges, visiting over 150 different campuses, told students to avoid polarization and intolerance. In 1990, she along with 15 other black women and men formed the African American Women for Reproductive Freedom. Her husband, Arthur Hardwick, died in August of 1986, and she moved to Florida in 1991. In 1993, she was nominated by Bill Clinton to be the United States Ambassador to Jamaica, but she couldn't do it due to poor health. She was also inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in that same year. She died on January 1st, 2005, at her home in Ormond Beach, Florida. Her health had been in decline. She had a a series of small strokes the previous summer. She's buried in Birchwood Mausoleum at the Forest Lawn Cemetery in Buffalo, where the legend inscribed on her vault reads Unbought and Unbossed. So that is her life. In February 2005, there's a documentary film called Shirley Chisholm 72, Unbought and Unbossed. It's mostly about her presidential bid, but obviously concerns more than just that. It was directed and produced by independent African-American filmmaker Shola Lynch. And featured at Sundance. The first biography of Chisholm for an adult audience was published in 2014 called Shirley Chisholm Catalyst for Change. The Shirley Chisholm Project on Brooklyn Women's Activism exists at Brooklyn College to promote research projects and programs on women and preserve the legacy of Shirley Chisholm. It also houses an archive as part of the Chisholm papers in the college library special collections. In January of 2018, Governor Cuomo announced his intent to build Shirley Chisholm State Park along the Jamaica Bay coastline, and it was open in July of 2019. Uzo Aduba plays Chisholm in the miniseries Mrs. America, which was released in April 2020. She was also heavily featured in Mel Brooks's 2023 satirical television series, History of the World Part Two, played by Wanda Sykes. <laughs> Apparently, the episodes also quote-unquote starred other members of Chisholm's family and friends. Obviously, not actual people, but like... You know, actors portraying them. And in 2015, she was posthumously presented with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. She also has plenty of other awards and such. I mentioned two autobiographies. One is Unbought and Unbossed from 1970, and there's an expanded edition from 2010. And then in 1973, The Good Fight. So that's Shirley Chisholm.
1: I had like the one sentence summary. So mm-hmm. this is great. Now I know so yeah. much more about her.
0: Yeah. It was nice to learn for me. I sure hope I can remember her from now on. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs>
1: like,
0: like multiple times I'm like, man, I need to look up, look her up. Man, I need to look into her. I need to figure this out. And just, yeah.
1: Yeah. Nothing like doing a deep dive to fix that, I
0: find. Mm-hmm. So are you ready for a quiz?
1: Yes, I am ready for a quiz.
0: I had a pretty difficult time determining what to write this quiz about. So at the end there, I mentioned that she had been posthumously awarded a Presidential Medal of Freedom. And that's what my mind got stuck on. So this is about recipients of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And that's pretty much everything that it connects to. So here we go. Question one. 1968 only saw two recipients of the Presidential Medal of Freedom from... LBJ. Both men served the United States government, though in different ways. One was SecDef, responsible for overseeing the primary military conflict of that decade, and the other was a NASA administrator who has more recently been honored in the world of astronomy. Name either one. I think I will
1: follow my gut on going with the NASA administrator. I'm going to guess James Webb.
0: James Webb is correct. Nice job. Yes. The other one was Robert McNamara.
1: That's a name that I know I need to learn.
0: Yes. Two very different roles. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Knowing James Webb, though, is important. I guess McNamara is too. All right, nice. You got 10 points. Good job. Webb was the second administrator of NASA. Mm -hmm. All right. Question two. Fred Rogers, about whom you did an excellent deep dive a couple of years ago at this point. I don't think I Uh, did. Did you not dive? Have we have we not done in, I think we've Mr. never Rogers? done Mr. Rogers. That can't be true. I have touched
1: on him numerous times. I did a sermon series on Mr. Rogers, but yeah, I don't. I
0: know you did. This is, oh my gosh. Okay, this is Mandela effect. All right. We can keep that in or whatever. But who you apparently didn't do a deep dive about, but I feel like I remember you doing one anyway. Uh-huh. He received the award shortly after his television show ended. Which president presented it to him? Some other things that happened in that year are the International Criminal Court and the African Union were established, the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics took place, the Eminem Show and Let Go are the top selling albums, and the Church of England decrees that divorcees can marry.
1: All right, so I am confident that it is either Bill Clinton or George W. Bush. If I can figure out the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics, like I should be able to figure out when those were precisely, I think.
0: I'm glad I didn't ask this next week, you know, after you've been to Salt Lake.
1: Yeah, this is so silly. I'm like, okay, the Tanya Harding thing, I can place that on a year and that wasn't in Salt Lake City. (sighs) I remember where that one was. I remember where that one was. All right. And then it's all a mystery. So now we're back to, is it Bill Clinton or is it George W. Bush? I think that Fred Rogers did a special right after 9-11, but I think his show had gone off the air. So I think I'm going to say Bill Clinton.
0: I'm sorry, it is George W. Bush.
1: All right. Uh, His
0: his show did go off the air in 2001. Mm -hmm. But by then, of course, GW... Yes, president George W. Bush, great president or the greatest president? (laughs) And uh, well, I mean, that was that was Stephen Colbert's go to question all the time. Uh, Yeah, that was in 2002 that he received the uh, presidential medal of freedom. All right. You're on question three. Only one group has been awarded the Medal of Freedom. and that group is referred to as Mission Control Team. Their contributions to American endeavors, particularly in safeguarding a particular 1970 voyage, put them on the list for such a high honor. What city did that team operate from?
1: I mean, it feels obvious, and so I wonder if maybe I'm going for something that's too obvious and I should know something more nuanced. I think I'm just going to go with it and guess Houston.
0: Houston is correct. (sighs) Okay. Yes, the mission control team from Apollo 13. Yep, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, nice job. Yes, they're the only group of people to be awarded, like, as a group. Hmm, Cool. All other 630 recipients are individuals. All right, you're at 20 points. Question four. St. Francis Xavier was, among other things, a co-founder of the Society of Jesus and led the first Christian mission to Japan. He is also the co-patron of the Archdiocese of Calcutta, a position he shares with what 1985 recipient? She was canonized in 2016, and more importantly, given honorary American citizenship in 1996. St. Teresa, Mother Teresa. Yes, that is correct. Yes. Yeah. Co-patron? I mean, sure, I guess St. you know, Francis Xavier did stuff, but like, just give it to her. She <laughs> did the real work there. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's on it. Yeah. Anyway, Mother Teresa received it from Ronald Reagan. Hmm. Which I don't know why that feels weird to me, but it feels weird to me. Yeah, that does feel weird. (laughs) You have 30 points. Question five. This question was dangerously close to passing the Bechtel test, so I had to change it to fit the rest of the quiz. (laughs) One of the more recent recipients is what wife of Green Bay Packers safety, Jonathan Owens. I guess she's done some stuff, too, on her own, like winning 29 Olympic gold medals and having five different techniques named after her. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> biles. yes who is awesome and i'm just i'm making a joke it's a joke it's
1: yeah no i yes. know i know i know
0: <laughs> she is incredible and awesome and anytime my daughters are like can we watch gymnastics i'm like yes of course we can let's talk about how awesome simone biles is and continues to be yep did you hear that gabby douglas is also going to like make a comeback i did not She is, I I think I read that, that she is like planning to try to get back in, Hmm. which is cool. All right. Yes. Nice job. I haven't looked for it, but I have been forced to see things about like Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Oh, and also Simone Biles and Jonathan Owens. And I'm like, I. Cool. I would put both of those women as like more successful than the men they're attached to. Like not. I like i better i don't know anyway nice you're at 40 points and Ooh. the final question is c- con- con- current politicians
1: okay oh wager 25
0: okay the only person to receive the medal prior to becoming president of the united states was who he also received awards such as honorary degrees from the university of scranton and the university of delaware member of the Order of Liberty and the Cross of Military Merit from Ukraine, and most recently, the Order of Viotas the Great with the Golden Chain from Lithuania.
1: I assume we must be talking about Joe Biden?
0: Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., yes. That is who we're talking about, and I realize by saying, like, current politician, (laughs) it's like, well, who's currently president? (laughs) What an idiot. Uh, Yeah, he received the presidential medal in 2017. Obama presented him with yep. it with distinction apparently he was presented with the order of vitautus the great with the golden chain hmm. which is uh, a a thing for the lithuanian leaders and leaders of other uh, states oh that's um, cool particularly for his support of ukraine and nato so yeah all right well you finished with how much well, how much did you wager 25 35? 25 35 25 so you're at 60 65 points
1: yeah hey not yeah. bad
0: not bad at all yeah. well done
1: well this was fun so thank you as always
0: mm-hmm.
1: and thank you listeners make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that if you want to check out our patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables kyle is putting the quiz
0: questions up right now literally i am mm-hmm.
1: and if you have friends who like jeopardy let them know about us
0: you can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potable and Twitter's at Potent Potable One. Our email address is PotentPotablesCast at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com.
1: Yeah, and we'll be back next week with more Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.